If you would turn to Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be somewhere else before and somewhere else during it, but this is the main text I want to draw from tonight. I'm going to ask you a couple different questions tonight. First one is, how well do you know God? Think about what it means to know God as you listen to me read this text. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted past tense as loss for the sake of Christ. That's Damascus Road, 25 to 30 years before this. Indeed, I count present tense all these years later. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I had suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Nicely put, not nicely put, actually, manure is what that would be. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And what does that saving knowing do to you? Well, it makes you want to know him more. In what kind of way? Verse 10, that I may, again, know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When I was growing up, um, most of my childhood I lived in Ohio, a little town named Finley. Um, One of the things that my dad did when I was growing up is we went hunting a lot. Um, not deer. I, I never hardly ever shot a rifle, but I shot, a shot, I you know, used a shotgun all the time. My dad was a gun collector and all of that sort of thing. And so we went hunting. They had dogs where we they had short haired, German short haired dogs, and they were great. You'd sniff out the pheasants and quail, and you couldn't see them until you got right on top of them, and they'd fly up, and we'd shoot them. And I always loved it. My grandfather would come up from Texas once in a while, and he'd join us. I remember pictures and it was a great time. But one time my dad said, you know, here's, we're going to try something new. So we went to this other place and he said, we're going to learn, I want to teach you how to do skeet shooting. And, and it was very similar. He taught me how to, and he showed me how you don't do it. And he says, you know, when you shoot a pheasant, it's like shooting a skeet. Because if you aim your shotgun directly at where the clay pigeon or the pheasant's going to be, you'll miss it. And so he was right, because the first few times I couldn't get it out of my mind to shoot right at the clay pigeon as it flew through the air, the little clay, you know. So, and I missed it. He said, no, 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 you, you're off target. You've got to lead it a little bit, like you do a pheasant. If you shoot where a pheasant is, when you're, you're not going to get it. He's going to fly off, and you're going to miss it. So I started shooting, you know, a foot or two ahead of it. Oh, I started hitting them all. And just like you do a pheasant. And I thought about that this week, and I thought, you know what? There's a lot of people when it comes, God's people even, when it comes to knowing God, they're just a little really off target about doing it. Um, I think they think that knowing God really is just a matter of studying my Bible 
um, maybe 10, 15 minutes a day, and then maybe throwing in a few minutes of prayer there, especially with those emergencies. And I kind of use crisis mode Christianity, and, and, and that's the way day in and out I can know God. Um, there's all kinds of ways. I listed it on the, on the Google form for you, the survey. Um, we can approach God and try to know him informationally, thinking all I need to know is that the Bible says, although I'm not doubting that because that's crucial. Uh, emotionally know God. I just want to feel something, you know, and, there, you know, I don't, biblically, I don't, I don't, but you raise your hands in a service. I, 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 I want to know God as a person, and he has emotions, so I don't think it's wrong to feel uh, something in a service. I, Jonathan Edwards said that emotions are as good as long as they're based on the same level of truth that you're hearing, and I think if the Bible stirs you up to a truth and you cry about it, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. But that's not what it's all about. Um, There's religious knowing God, knowing God because you come to church and you go through times of the year and you realize things about him and we say prayers together. You you learn something about God and you know him a little bit or about what he's like through religious affiliations. Spiritually and personally, how how well do you know God? See, imagine this. You, You know, if you've been married, my wife and I, January, 34 years, um... So I know, if you ask me, you know, where she was born, I know that. I know what color her eyes are. I know what she likes to eat. I know, I know what would push her buttons to get her a little upset if I had to. Not that I would ever do that. Um, I, I know all about her. I know what she likes, doesn't like, what makes her laugh, you know, all that. I know all that for 34 years. But does that mean I really know my wife? Well, not really. I mean... Do I know emotionally? My wife doesn't cry at the drop of a hat. She's really even keel. I'm very thankful for that. But I know what would bother her. I I know something about her emotionally. I do. I I know what her routine is. I know what she likes to get up early and and she likes to go to bed early. I know all those things. Does that really mean I know her? No. Not necessarily because there's some things missing there because when you're connected to someone and there's love there, it's a kind of a different connection. It's all those things, but there's another element to it. God said this in the prophecy of Jeremiah. And uh, he said it this way, actually. He said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his wealth. But if you boast, let him boast in this, that he knows me. See, let that be your boast, that you know God. That's what he said. There's alternatives. There's other things that you would maybe want to know more than him. You might think my greatest thing to know is some wisdom for life or that I have power in certain areas or wealth and what it'll, you know, there's all types of alternatives of things that you can know in life that might take his place. But he says, no, if you're going to boast in something that you really know, not those things, know me, he says. Let your boast be what you, not brag, but what, you, what is the most important thing that you think that you know? Let it be that you really know God. The Hebrew word for know in the Old Testament is used over a thousand times. It's the Hebrew word yada. Not, not yada, 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 but, but it's the word yada. And it means to know, but it has a tinge of intimacy to it. In fact, it even talks about sexual relationships, and that's how it's used in Genesis 4.1. Adam knew his wife, and they had a son, and his name was Abel. 
I mean, it's used in chapter 3 and verse 7. It says they, when they sinned against God, their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked, it says. Chapter 3 and verse 22, it says when they sinned and took the forbidden fruit, it says now they are Adam and Eve know good and evil. So, so the word knowing is used in all the, and it means that they know something they didn't know before and they know it really well. They know it intimately. And, and that's how you are in a marriage. But see, God's people, and perhaps you tonight, they're just really satisfied and have become content with knowing God's resume. And by that I mean the Bible. You know, God has a resume, and he wants to tell you all about himself, and he happens to do it in 66 books. We call it the Bible. And and people think that if I just know his resume and read about it and hear about it, see, I really know him. And so you, we come to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and we say, hey, just, Pastor, read me a little bit more about that resume about God. And, and, and don't get, I'm not downplaying that. But if you just read it and study it, and that's all it is, you won't know it. Because, see, God's waiting for the interview. He's waiting for you to ask him questions about who he is and what that means for your life. And he wants you to do it in a personal way. If you ever, if you ever gone to, and I've only done this a couple times, you ever go to a movie and you see the movie and it, it's really good, but it's in two dimensions, but then you go to it and what's, I think, IMAX. Have you ever been to an IMAX theater? What was it? A Sight and Sound has one. No, no, not Sight and Sound. One of the museums we went to, another place where you're sitting in the chair and it actually sprays water on you. Things come 3D and you almost like you got a duck because you think they're going to hit you. The shark's going to bite you. Have you ever been in a theater like that where your, your chair shakes a little bit when thunder goes? I mean, you're, but the experience is completely different, isn't it? Well, see, if you, all you do is just come to church and read your Bible, that's kind of like the 2D thing. But when you really know God, I mean, when you really know God, it's all of those things combined and more. It's kind of the 3D experience. And that's what God in the scriptures invites us to. He says, you know, I really want to give you the 3D version of who I am. And too often, God's people settle for far less. So my first question is tonight, how well do you know God? Let me add a question to it. How bad do you want to know him more? And you, you know that phrase, right? How bad do you want it? I mean, they it all the time was used in sports when I played. How bad do you want this game? And when the coach talks to you about how bad you want something, he doesn't ask you how great your skill or talent level is. He's not asking you have you prepared and what our strategy against the other team is. What, when someone asks you how bad do you want it, what are they asking? They're talking about a desire, aren't they? How much you really crave something. That's what God wants to know. Um, so too often, can I say tonight, and I want to stir you there. Um, I know a lot of people who really want success at their business really bad. Really bad. And they want to be, you know, they want to date someone and they're not. They want it really bad. They want to be, and you name it, they want to be high up in education. They want to get this grade point average. They want to be able to be at this level of sports accomplishment. And and, and we could go through the room and come up with a hundred of them. And and they want it really bad. I mean, they'll expend energy. They'll go to the gym. They'll sacrifice time. They'll get rid of things in their lives. They'll diet. They'll train. They'll study. They'll go many years of college and get a master's degree and then a doctor degree and all that on top of it. 
and spend all kinds of money to do these things. You know why? Because they really want it bad. And not because those things are bad. But remember what God says? Don't boast in that. Don't boast in your riches or your wisdom, your education. All, don't, not that. Boast this. Put, do you really want to know me like that? Do you really want to know me like that? Or are we cavalier and casual? And if I got time to get up in the morning, I'll do it. Knowing God involves intentional, a t- intentional quest for intimacy. I don't know if you have it on your phone. I I don't need it because I don't like it. And I'm talking about social media. But some people really are into it. I mean, they're glued to it. Maybe it's you. There's an app, though, so you can have control your social media time. It monitors how much time that you spend on Facebook or whatever, Instagram or whatever it is that you're on. And at the end of the day, if if you go past your time, there's a limitation that it cuts you off and you can't go on social media anymore. It just cuts you off and blocks it. Um, and, and at the end of the day, it'll monitor and tell you, hey, here's how much time you spent on here, and here's what you did, and this is where you use it. I, I, wouldn't it be cool if they had one for your life? And we had an app. It was hooked up to your phone, and it monitored, you know, um, and at the end of the day, it gave you limits. You couldn't do so much on this and this and this. At the end of the day, you saw, oh yeah, here's all this time, and I got blocked from this, but look how much time I still got for God. I wonder if we'd ever have a day where the app blocked us because we spent so much time with him. But that would be a determination, really, about how much you want that. Isn't that true? Um, Have you ever talked to someone? I have recently, actually. And they realized that they had a health issue. And you know how they realized it? Because they weren't hungry anymore. Now, if I did that for 24 hours, I might be dying. Because I'm hungry all the time and like to eat all the time. But truthfully, seriously, doctors say this, that if you can go and have hunger loss for long periods of time, it's a pointer to something that's wrong much more deeply than you might think. There are a lot of Christians, a lot of God's people that have lost their appetite or have lowered their appetite for God, and they're satisfied with junk food. And I'll be really candid with you. Like little teeny devotionals that are a page long, or five minutes in the morning so that you can fulfill your religious duty, or a couple minutes of prayer so that you can say that you prayed today. Um, Snacking, I call it. Just a little bite here, a little bite there. Not because you're getting anything. And and virtually with no preparation or plan whatsoever to do anything that you've read or studied that day. So let me ask you again, how bad do you really want to know God And then ask yourself this, is he worth your time in the morning? Is he worth setting aside your phone and your self-interest so that you could seek him? Is he worth allowing yourself to become vulnerable in his presence so that you can realize that the reason you don't hunger for him like you should is because there's something wrong on a deeper level? Is he worth integrating him into all the areas of your life? Can I say this? Paul thought so. That's why I read the text in Philippians 3 tonight. Paul thought so. And he said that before he got saved, and you don't read them, you have to read, but in chapter 3 that we read, verses 2 through 6, the paragraph before ours, he went through a whole list of his resume, and he had a good one. Now, you wouldn't be something that you would want to excel at and become great at, 
and was everything to you. It wouldn't have been, being a Pharisee and the kind he was wouldn't have interested you. But for you, it might be the, your career or some education or sports or relationship or money or whatever it might be. For him, it was being a Pharisee, and he wasn't just any Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and concerning the law, he was zealous and. He was a tribe of Benjamin, and he was, his righteousness, he was blameless. You can read his own resume for yourself. And he pursued it with passion. You know why? Because he wanted it. I mean, Paul wanted it really bad. So bad that he persecuted Christians. And if you're not familiar with it, if you read the book of Acts in chapter 8, two times it's mentioned to this point. In chapter 8, the beginning, and 9, that he pursued Christians. But what had never been done before is that he pursued women and had them in prison. That was never done. That's why Jesus's mother and other women could be near the cross and the guys weren't there near the cross because to be associated with Jesus as a guy, they would have put you together with him. The women did, sorry, they didn't matter. Have you ever seen in the Middle East today when there's bombing and stuff, women walk down the street and that's why women can strap bombs to themselves and at first they let them in and they would blow themselves up. Why? Because nobody thought that of women. But Saul did. You know how bad he wanted this? He even did what nobody else would do. He had women persecuted and thrown in prison just like the men. That was never done before. He wanted it really, really bad. Because he thought it was the way he should know God. Hear me. But he was wrong. He was wrong. Completely wrong about what he thought about knowing God. And then he says, in the first word of verse 7, don't miss it, is the strongest adversative that you can use in the Greek language. It's the word but, it's ayah, and it means completely the opposite. He says, but what things were gained? Back when on the Damascus Road, when the light shone on me and I found Jesus and I really knew God through him, he says, I now know God. Guess what happened? Everything in his life was reversed. And I put it this way, he began to count differently. Because he says, but what gain, things were gained to me? And what are those what things? All the things he mentioned in verses 2 through 6 that were his life. He built his life on it. All the things he once held dear. See it? But what things were gained to me? Those I counted loss. And it means he forfeited it. He chose to let it go. He didn't count it as valuable anymore. It's like this. Can you picture it? It's like a ledger in, in finance. And you have your assets and you have your deficits the things you count as gain assets and deficits are loss and 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 before he met jesus he had this list of a pharisee and zealous and blameless and the whole list was over here and jesus was his biggest deficit and that's why he went so hard after christians but on the damascus road when he really knew god it all switched and all the things that were gained, he switched the leather. All this had to be moved over to here, and Christ had to be moved over to here. See, that's what happens when you become a Christian. See, can I tell you, what does it mean to know God? It means your life has been put in reverse and turned upside down in just about every possible way. Everyone here tonight, under the sound of my voice, has a ledger. You do. Some of us have public ledgers that we want everybody to look at so that we can think that we have the right things in the right columns. And then all of us have a private ledger, the one that we really follow that shows what our values really are and what we really want badly. And we keep one in front of everyone else so that we can tout the 
superficial facade of looking like we are kind of like Paul, but the real thing that we do shows up when something else other than church is more interesting to us and we don't show up, or when something comes our way that unsettles us that we are not interested in following any longer. See, the interesting thing about Philippians is Paul tells us about knowing God and how you really know him is he writes it from prison. He writes this from a Roman prison. So can I tell you this? Knowing God and knowing him deeply is not dependent on having good circumstances because he writes this from a jail. Secondly, can I tell you this? In chapter 1, he doesn't know whether this jail sentence will be, he'll ever get out of it. He says he doesn't know whether he's going to live or die. So he's not even sure of his future. Do you know you don't have to be sure of your future to know God deeply? You don't really have to. And can I tell you this? Paul wrote this letter, and he's been a Christian for somewhere between 25 and 30 years. So this isn't some new Christian that's really just excited and gung-ho because they got saved last month. No, this is a guy who's done more for Jesus than practically any Christian who ever lived. And you know what his greatest desire still is, his greatest aim? I just want to know him. <laughs> I want to know him more. See, so, so let me tell you this. Knowing God has nothing to do with your circumstances. Knowing God has nothing to do with the longevity of your Christianity. It has everything to do with what's really in your heart and what you want the most. And so he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, listen to this, Here's, he's going to teach us how to count. And I count everything loss for what? This is the key right here, and this is where we're going to spend our time, last 15 minutes. He says, I counted all loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Write this down, please. Surpassing worth is a verb that means to rise above everything else. Um, And this verb is always used in the New Testament every time, including the two other times it's used in this epistle, and it's always contrasted with something else. In other words, this is valuable, but this is way more valuable. Today we would say it in ways like this. um, We would say stuff like, um, no comparison. This one's way better than the other one. This is out of the world. This one can't hold a candle to the other one. That's how we talk about it. And so let me give you the uses. Chapter 2 and verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, see the word, count. There it is. Same. Count others more, here it is, more significant. That's our word. Count other people as having a greater surpassing worth than you do. In other words, here's me and how much I count myself and other people. So if I'm going to follow Jesus, others people have a, a surpassing significance that's greater than myself. So I can die to myself. I don't have to be right. I don't have to get my way. People don't have to treat me right. I don't ha- Why? Because I look at people and their significance surpasses mine because I serve them, he says. Chapter 4 and verse 7 uses the same word again. He says, and the peace of God, see it? There's our word, which surpasses all understanding. You want a shalom in your life that's holistic and affects everything in your life, and no matter what comes your way, it can't shake you? He says there is something that surpasses all understanding. It goes beyond any kind of peace and any kind of understanding you can grasp. It goes beyond. That's what the word means. And so in our text, 
here's what he uses it to say. He goes, I counted all things. What is surpassing? What is it that Paul would see as worthy, valuable enough that he'd give up everything in his former life? All the things that he thought was gain. What would he give all of those things up for? What would make him go in and out of prisons and shipwrecks and beatings and floggings and persecution and imprisonment? What in the world could be better, so much better, that he didn't do all that. And he says, here it is, knowing Jesus. <laughs> that would be the, what, he, what does it for him. The chorus, we just sang it, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. Do you know what the next line is? There is no greater thing. There is no greater thing. I hope you didn't sing that and didn't believe it. I hope you sang it and believed it Ah, better. I hope you could sing it and live it and do it every day of your life. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy. and, And I love you, Lord. See, the love, it's not the informational part, just, or the emotional part, or the religious part. It's I want to know you because of the love part. And that love part for you because of what you've done for me, see, it moves me. It moves me to give up other things, to see you in a light in which I see nothing else. Can you turn to Hebrews 11? And I want to spend the rest of our time, and it's not long, to illustrate what it means to live out the truth that Jesus is of surpassing worth to you. In fact, strangely enough, the same words are used in this text that Paul uses in Philippians 3. And it's about Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. And notice, remember our word surpassingness or counting? It's always done in comparison. Something superior to something inferior. By faith, Moses, <coughs> when he was grown up, if you read Acts 7, you'll find out and know that he's 40 years old. And that's important. Because Moses has, remember, everyone has a ledger. Moses has a ledger. Picture it this way. Here's the cultural ledger he has. For him, it's in Egypt. And then he has a Christ ledger that's opposite of the cultural ledger. And that's what is in Israel, okay? So he's got these two ledgers. Now, for the first 40 years of his life, this was the ledger. He had on this side things that were in Egypt. And and it's summarized by this phrase. It says in verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see what that means? So Acts 7 says that when he was a baby, Pharaoh's daughter found him. Pharaoh and the daughter adopted him. So now he is Pharaoh's grandson, perhaps lying to be second in command, maybe to rule Egypt. We don't know. But we do know from looking at this text what it meant. It meant he had position. It meant he had privilege. It meant he had power. All the pleasure he wanted, he had possessions, and it says he refused. He, Greek word, denied it. Forty years he had it. Now he says, I don't want it anymore. He, and the word can be used to disown it. It was like he, he wanted all of them out of his life in that sense. And so here, here's what he refused. Here's what that choice was. I wrote them all down. He was choosing shame over honor because in his position he had the honor of all Egypt. He was royalty. And he gave it up to be a slave instead of royalty. He, gave, he chose shame over honor when he made this choice. He chose slavery over freedom. He chose suffering over pleasure. He chose to be on the bottom socially, 
when he was on the top. He, cho- he chose Israel over Egypt, and he chose the true God over all the false gods that he grew up with for four decades of his life. He's no longer the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So here's what it means. I don't even call you mom anymore. And not because I don't love them, and sure he was fond of them, and not because he wasn't close to them, but he said, my grandfather isn't the Pharaoh anymore. And, and it says he was mighty in words and deeds and schooled in all the wisdom of Egypt, Acts 7. So here's what he did. All the things he learned in college, he turned his back on them. His culture that had brought him prominence, he didn't want to have it anymore. His future was bright and sure. He gave it up. See what I'm saying? Why? (coughs) Because the Bible says that the reproaches of Christ, he considered them better. There's our word, of surpassing worth. And the Bible says he considered it in verse 26. He chose it, choosing rather this than this. See, it was two things. Egypt on the ledger and all that goes with it. Israel on the ledger and all that goes with it. And you look at the two, treasures in Egypt, power, Pharaoh, Egypt, palace, freedom. Look at this side. Slavery, Israel, loss of freedom, beaten, trying to be killed. All that went with that. And you would say, wow, that's an obvious choice. I'm hanging the left. Not Moses. You know why? Because he knew God. Because he knew God. He considered, verse 26, it means to regard something over time, to be of an opinion. Paul calls it in Philippians 1.22, I have a desire to be with Christ, and he cho- which is far better. It is a conscious preference for it. He had a frame of mind. It's the same word used in Philippians 2, 3, and 6, and 3, 8. In our passage, 3, it's the word count. That's what the word considered. He counted it. He looked at this, and he looked at this, and he says, I'm counting this is better. See, this is what God asks you to do. If you really want to know him, and, and I put in my notes, you can only know God deeply when you value God supremely. Can I tell you that? You can only know God deeply when you value God supremely. Or let me say it this way. You, you will know God the best when you love God the most. And Moses said, you know for what my ledger is? Egypt, all of this. The only thing I need on this side? Christ. That's it. That's all I need, he says. Verse 8 goes on to say, if you'll flip back to Philippians. Indeed, I count everything at loss of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as manure in order that I may gain Christ. Can I give you some helpful wisdom that you need to do now? When Paul got saved, he took out his red pencil and over all the things that he used to think were gain, he scratched them out and then red wrote this, loss. That's how he viewed them. If you don't do that now and you're tempted to hold on to them, 
when God takes them from you or changes you or wants you to give them up, you won't be able to. And you'll never know him deeply because you don't value him supremely. God wants to know if you will love him above everyone and everything else. Because he's worthy, see. His surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Now, here's the thing. If you don't do this, you'll just not be as good as a Christian. I wish that's all there was to it. There's more to it. Don't hold your, don't turn there. Just listen to me talk. Matthew 16 uses the same word to loss. The word loss, listen to this. And again, Jesus is going to do what the writers always do. It's a contrast between two things. Listen to Jesus talk in Matthew 16 and verse 26. Let me read the text. He told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, ready? What will it profit? Here's the gain-loss concept. Ready? For what will it profit a man if he gains, see the word, gains the whole world and loss. Remember our word loss in Philippians 3, 7, 8? Same word, forfeits his own soul. You know what salvation is? Salvation is by faith desiring Jesus more than anything or anyone else. Discipleship is living out that truth every day of your life. See, you know what Jesus says? You could forfeit, you cannot just lose having a close relationship with me. It might be the indication that you never knew me at all. See, if you go after wisdom and riches and might, see, you will forfeit me because you could gain everything else that you think you want in life. But if you don't have the one asset in this column, you will forfeit everything in the end, he says. Everything. So here's what Paul has to say to end this paragraph in Philippians 3. It has to be the way he ends it. It shouldn't be any surprise whatsoever to us. So if you know God in a saving way like that because he is supreme in the affections of your heart, what will your life look like every day in light of it? He tells you what it looks like in verse 10. Look what it says. That I may know him. How? And the power of his risen life, his resurrection. We all love that. I, I want to know the power of victory that Jesus, because he's raised. I want that. But how do you get it? Because every time there's a resurrection, what has to happen first? A death. And in Jesus' case, a crucifixion. Here's what he says. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And how else will I know him? I want to share or have fellowship in his sufferings so how much do i want how badly do i want to know him the answer is would i lose something over it would i suffer for it if i had to what if a lot of things in my life are changed and they're not good ones you ever read jerry bridge's book trusting god even when life hurts he tells a story about when he was 14 that he was in the other room and he heard his mother cry out in pain and by the time he raced just two rooms down the hallway he, he arrived in the bedroom only to see her take her last breath and she died in front of him. That was when he was 14. 
He had so many sicknesses in his life that as a teenager he couldn't play sports. And in general in life he wasn't able to do a lot of things because of his own chronic health conditions. His wife that he loved that he was married to for many, many years got cancer and she died. And he said this, and I still want to know him more. I still want to know him more, even when life hurts. Horatius Bonner, of a couple centuries or so ago, a Scottish pastor, wrote a book called Night of Weeping. And he said, if you ever want to know God in a less formal way, a less artificial way, a less distant way, a more personal, real, intimate, and deep way, you better embrace your sufferings. Unless you think tonight, and I'll close with this, unless you think this is for some super Christians to know God like this, Paul says in this chapter in verse 17, brothers, in other words, everybody who's a Christian, join in imitating me. In other words, see how I'm living this? See how I know Christ? See how it's my greatest aim? See how I'm willing to do anything to advance that aim in my life? You can do it too. Imitate me. Do it just like I'm doing it. So let me ask you, do you know God? And, it, and if you do, more than informationally, emotionally, religiously, do you know him? And if you do know him, is it your aim every day, every day, to know him more? How bad do you really want it? Let's pray. Father, we desire to live the words of the song that we sang. We want to have the Christ ledger, not the culture ledger. We want to say that what's of surpassing worth in our life that goes way beyond anything else that we want is you, knowing you, knowing you more. God, may that hunger and may that appetite, may that thirst never diminish in our lives, but only increase. Not so that we can simply store up information so that we can experience transformation, but not even that in and of itself, but that transformation would result in Christ's likeness to be more like him, it says. Be more like him. May that be true of us individually. May that be true of us corporately as a church at Faith Baptist Church, that every time we come to this place and gather together in your name, we come hungry, hungry for you, that we might be filled up with good things. And we praise you and thank you for that. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.